I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America, chartered by Congress, to disseminate information about the Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. Recently, President Trump proposed to end birthright citizenship through executive order. The proposal has set off vigorous commentary. Does the president have the authority under the Constitution to end birthright citizenship? Could Congress do it by statute if the president can't do it by executive order? And what does the Constitution mean in the 14th Amendment when it states and dear We the People listeners, I want you to bring out your interactive constitutions. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Joining us to discuss this crucial constitutional question are two of America's leading commentators on it. Akhil Amar is Sterling Professor of Law and Political Science at Yale Law School and the author of many acclaimed books, including most recently The Constitution Today. Akhil is the co-author of the Interactive Constitutions Explainer on the Citizenship Clause with John Harrison. And dear We the People listeners, I want you to check out that common explainer right after the podcast. Akhil, it's so wonderful to have you back on We the People. Thanks for having me. And, and Edward Erler is Senior Fellow at the Claremont Institute and Professor of Political Science Emeritus at California State University, San Bernardino. He is the co-author of the book, The Founders on Citizenship and Immigration, and has argued that birthright citizenship can and should be reformed without violating the Constitution. Uh, Professor Erler, thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. Uh, uh, Professor Erler, let's begin with you. Uh, uh, what did the framers mean by the phrase, subject to the jurisdiction thereof, and why have you concluded that they did not believe to include the children of illegal aliens in the United States in their notion of birthright citizen. Sure. Well, of course, as you know, that's the crucial uh, question. The uh, citizenship clause of the 14th Amendment was introduced at a very late date, and uh, it was suggested that uh, a citizenship clause or a definition of citizenship was necessary because it had already been adopted, uh, or a provision had already been adopted that privileges and immunities of United States citizenship uh, would be guaranteed. So Senator Wade had suggested that uh, a definition of citizenship should be all persons born or naturalized should be citizens of the United States. That uh, suggestion went to the Joint Committee on Reconstruction that took, and uh, that the committee took up the issue and came back with a provision that said all persons born or naturalized and subject to the jurisdiction were citizens of the United States. The committee evidently put considerable weight on the provision subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. When uh, the citizenship clause was introduced uh, into the Senate by Jacob Howard, he said uh, this was not an innovation, it was only a codification or reaffirmation of the law of the land as it already existed. He was obviously referring to the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which had been passed over President Johnson's veto only six, six weeks earlier. Uh, and the Civil Rights Act of 1866 
was the first definition of citizenship uh, after uh, the ratification of the uh, 13th Amendment. And remember, this was passed by a two-thirds majority of both houses of the Congress. So it uh, enjoyed widespread support of the Congress. And that a definition of citizenship said all persons born and naturalized and not subject to a foreign power were citizens of the United States. So when Jacob Howard uh, submitted the citizenship clause, uh, he knew uh, that the Civil Rights Act of 1866 did not include persons who were subject to a foreign power. And so uh, the citizenship clause that he introduced, uh, 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 as you uh, read at the outset, uh, was read to the uh, floor of the Senate and someone objected immediately uh, that this would include native persons. Senator Howard said, no, it would not because uh, they uh, were uh, considered to be foreign nations and they didn't owe allegiance to the United States, but they owed allegiance to their tribes. Uh, they were considered to be foreign nations. In other words, they're considered to be foreigners, not owing allegiance to the United States. Senator Trumbull, who had been the author of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, uh, came to the support of uh, Senator Howard and said, yes, me, uh, subject to the jurisdiction meant owing allegiance to the United States and not owing allegiance to any other country, owing complete allegiance to the United States, all uh, subject to the complete jurisdiction of the United States. And that's what we take to mean uh, uh, to be the meaning of the jurisdiction clause uh, of the 14th Amendment. It doesn't mean subject to the laws of the United States or merely subject to the courts of the United States. It means owing allegiance to the United States, uh, being subject to the complete jurisdiction of the United States. And the exclusion uh, uh, of those who are not subject to birthright citizenship means uh, those who owe allegiance to uh, foreign nations who are subject uh, to foreign nations, they are excluded. And I presume uh, that means that children born to um, illegal aliens whose parents owe allegiance to other nations would be excluded from jurisdiction of the United States. Professor Omar, in your separate statement on the interactive constitution, you strongly disagree with this uh, interpretation, and you say anyone born in America under the American flag is a citizen, even if his parents are not citizens, and indeed, even if his parents are not here legally. Tell us why you believe that is the case. Yeah, and it's not just uh, I who believe it. It's basically, I would say, um, uh, candidly, uh, I'd be very shocked if, if that view were not held by every single member of the, the current United States Supreme Court, um, and that, that includes my student, Brett Kavanaugh, and many people that I uh, work pretty closely with. Um, um, it includes basically um, virtually every constitutional scholar who teaches constitutional law in a law school, left, right, and center, um, who's weighed in on it, people who are law trained from Michael McConnell, um, a, a, a George W. Bush um, a distinguished uh, appointee to the bench, now professor at Stanford, um, my uh, 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 collaborator in a recent op-ed, uh, Stephen Calabresi, the um, founder of the 
um, a Federalist Society, other very leading Federalist Society people like George Conway, who uh, whose spouse Kellyanne Conway works for President Trump. So this is actually the uh, the the um, uh, virtually um, uh, every uh, opinion issued by the executive branch of government. I can I'll quote several. Um, and, and, and leading Supreme Court opinions. And so it's really the consensus view of, um, the, of, of lawyers left, right, and center. Um, and, uh, um, and by the way, if the argument that, that we just heard is that illegal aliens um, uh, owe their um, allegiance to other countries, well, actually that would be true, I guess, of legal aliens too. Um, uh, that they um, uh, that's a, and 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 some of them may not be green card holders. They may be citizens. They may I mean excuse me. They may be um, stu students. They may be um, visitors on on tourist visas and and other things. I, I myself um, uh, was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and my parents at the time they weren't here illegally, but they also weren't United States citizens. Um, so let's uh, you know. So this is I I I, I thought about this an awful lot um, and uh, and studied it a bit. So let me give your audience um, some general background, and it's a mistake to start as late as um, uh, 1866 or 1868. Let's start um, with a landmark opinion um, by the Court of Chancery of New York, and I'll tell you why we're starting there, because Lincoln's attorney general thinks that this is the key uh, uh, passage, and he in 1862, Lincoln's attorney general, um, Bates, in 1862 says, People who are born in America of alien parents are citizens of the United States. That's in 1862, responding to Dred Scott. And he cites, this is actually what he says in his opinion of the Attorney General in 1862. I am quite clear in the opinion that children born in the United States of alien parents um, are citizens of the United States. And then he says, I might sustain this principle by referring to um, uh, longstanding principles of English common law that apply in modified form in the United States, but all this has been well done by Assistant Vice Chancellor Sanford in the case of Lynch v. Clark, um, and 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 so he cites this case of Lynch v. Clark. It's a New York opinion, um, 1844, and Lincoln's Attorney General says this is the key um, uh, um, decision. And here's what that decision says. I'm quoting. Um, basically, every, everyone born in the United States is a citizen with, quote, the exceptions are the children of ambassadors who are deemed to be born within the allegiance of the, 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 um, the, the foreign country. Um, here's the, 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 the bottom line payoff. Um, upon principle, therefore, this is the judge in 1844, I can entertain no doubt that by the law of the United States, every person born within the United States, um, um, uh, whatever the situation of his parents, is a natural born citizen. Um, no one inquires further. No one asks whether his parents were citizens or were foreigners. It's enough that he was born here, whatever the status of his parents. And again, he's made an exception um, for uh, children of foreign ambassadors. And he's also appealing to English rules that say, oh, when there's a foreign army that's occupying territory, that might be different as well. So that's 1844, long before all of this. Dred Scott comes along and says, oh, blacks can't be citizens. Um, um, uh, even if they're born in the United States. And Bates and, and Lincoln thinks Dred Scott is a wrong uh, decision. And when he and he's elected president and he um, and has his attorney general weigh in in 1862, uh, uh, 10 opinions of the attorney general at 328, 
Um, and it's just a one paragraph discussion by Bates. He follows it up um, later on. Uh, this, uh, uh, and it's called, the question is, citizenship, this is the issue, quote, citizenship of children born in the United States of alien parents. And he says, it's clear, it's obvious. That's 1862. Can, um, and then he follows it up with a, a longer um, a, opinion uh, later in 1862. But then the question is, oh, can the executive just do this on his own? The Supreme Court has said one thing. Can the executive on his own say something else? Remember that question, audience, because it's going to be the question for Trump, because the Supreme Court will have weighed in um, on, uh, on my side um, uh, later in, in our conversation. Um, and so that's why you get the statute in 1866, which, as you've just heard, says, and I quote, all persons born in the United States and not subject to any foreign power excluding Indians not taxed, are hereby declared to be citizens of the United States. So that's an 1866 statute, but by mere statute, can you modify the rule of Dred Scott, which seemed to say otherwise, that blacks can't be citizens. And so then you have the first sentence of the 14th Amendment, that's a codification of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which is a codification of what Bates said, which is a codification of what the New York Court of Chancery said in 18. 44, which goes back to all sorts of English principles that say, as a general proposition, even if you're a child of aliens, you are um, a citizen. Um, and, and, and then we talk about the cases that are uh, decided thereafter that confirm all of that, with two basic exceptions um, uh, in America. Um, uh, one is children of diplomats, and the other is tribal Indians who basically are in a quasi-sovereign, um, separate um, enclave in the 1860s. Um, and, uh, um, and then in England, there was an exception. It doesn't really matter to America uh, at all that the, case, the course cases talk about, which is what happens if you have people born behind enemy lines when there's actually an occupying army, the way the United States occupied Germany, say, after World War II. But, but that's not really relevant today. But, but that's, and, and that's what the cases are going to say. And no one in the Reconstruction Congress clearly said anything otherwise. And the, and I, what I, the reason I, I emphasize all of this is this was the settled understanding by um, the Republican lawyers um, before the 14th Amendment was adopted. It's based on Bates, who was basing it on this 1844 case that he explicitly references. Uh, Professor Erler, you have argued that the Reconstruction Congress people did think differently and saw broader exceptions than just the children of diplomats and tribal Indians. And you have pointed to a statement by Senator Jacob Howard. Uh, this will not, of course, include persons born in the United States who are foreigners, aliens, I'm reading from the whole quote, who belong to the families of ambassadors or foreign ministers accredited to the government of the United States, but will include every other class of persons. So that's the quotation from Senator Howard. Tell us why you think that that supports broader exceptions for birthright citizenship than Professor Omar suggested. Well, I think it supports a, a broader restrictions because uh, uh, Senator Howard and Senator Trumbull, who was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and many others said so. No one in the Reconstruction Congress said that the 14th Amendment uh, ad adopted the English common law uh, of citizenship. In fact, it could not have adopted the English common law of citizenship for one very uh, 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 significant reason. Uh, the English common law of citizenship was rejected by uh, the Declaration of Independence. Let us not forget that in Blackstone, 
the, there is no such thing as citizenship. Uh, Blackstone says that anyone born within the protection of the king owed perpetual allegiance, perpetual allegiance uh, as a debt of gratitude to the king. And that was perpetual subjectship. There was no citizenship. Blackstone does not use the word citizen in his four-volume treatise on the uh, English common law. So that in the Declaration of Independence, it says that the American people have absolved their allegiance to the British crown. This was a violation and a rejection of the English common law. It is impossible to believe that the American founders were adopting the, the English common law as the basis of American citizenship at the same time that they were foregoing or absolving themselves uh, of uh, uh, allegiance to the British crown. In other words, they were rejecting uh, the English common law. They base American citizenship on consent, the consent of the governed. And the declaration says that uh, the just powers of government are derived from the consent of the governed. And no one could be uh, ruled or become a citizen without his consent. I think it's very, uh, very, very clear. And the framers uh, took uh, uh, consent very, very seriously. Uh, uh, excuse me, very uh, seriously. Uh, contract, social compact basis of government uh, was the idea that suffused the entire uh, founding. Now, the idea that Dred Scott uh, uh, decision uh, uh, rejected uh, use solely as the basis of citizenship is simply wrong. The reason uh, that Chief Justice Taney said that blacks of African descent could never be citizens was the fact that, in his opinion, the Declaration of Independence didn't uh, include blacks of African descent. And because they were not included in all men are created equal, he said, they were not part of the people who framed uh, and ratified the constitution. And he was mistaken in that regard because five states allowed free blacks uh, to vote in the election uh, that ratified uh, the constitution. And the dissent in the Dred Scott case pointed this out, that an historical error uh, that Taney made, that free blacks did in fact participate in the election that ratified the Constitution. So they were part of the people who ratified the Constitution. And this was a massive error uh, that uh, Taney made, but it wasn't uh, the Dred Scott decision that repealed Usole. It was the Declaration of Independence that rejected the common law uh, basis for uh, for, for citizenship. And no one in the Reconstruction Congress ever suggested uh, that, uh, the British, uh, that the English common law was to be the basis of American citizenship. And this business about consensus, there have been uh, uh, consensus uh, among lawyers and legislators from time to time, for example, uh, that thought that uh, separate but equal was the law of land and should be the law of the land. That doesn't make any difference. Uh, we believed that at one time, and we no longer believe it. We see it was bad constitutional law at the time, and it is still bad constitutional law. And I think birthright citizenship was never intended to be part of the 14th Amendment, and it should not be part of the 14th Amendment today. 
Uh, it was never intended by the framers to be part of the 14th Amendment. And uh, uh, and I think it should be uh, repealed uh, today. Most uh, uh, modern industrial nations uh, have uh, rejected uh, birthright citizenship. England in 1981 uh, stopped its uh, 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 birthright citizenship because, uh, uh, as Blackstone said, uh, 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 birthright citizenship was a part of uh, feudal inheritance. It was uh, the relation of master and servant. And uh, it was uh, not suitable for a Republican form of government. And I think uh, our framers uh, realized that. By the way, um, uh, Senator Trumbull, who is the author again of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, said that he thought of using the word allegiance instead of uh, 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 in, in the Civil Rights Act of 1866. But he found that it was a term of art under the uh, English common law and that there was such a thing under the common law as temporary allegiance. And that we would, uh, uh, if he had used that word in the Civil Rights Act, we would have had to have give, given birthright citizenship to those who were only temporary in the country. Uh, 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 under the British, uh, the English common law, those who had temporary allegiance instead of perpetual allegiance, those who were born under the protection of the king had perpetual allegiance, by the way, which could never be put off or, uh, 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 or canceled in any, any way without the permission of the king. But those who were in the country, uh, in, in the country temporarily had temporary allegiance and their children uh, were not birthright subjects of the king. But if we had used that language in America in the Civil Rights Act of 1866, those people who were temporarily in the country would have been given birthright citizenship. And Senator Trumbull said, we had no right and we had no need to give those people birthright citizenship. And that's why he didn't use the word allegiance in the Civil Rights Act. And that's the same reason that the framers of the 14th Amendment didn't use the word allegiance in the 14th Amendment. They chose the word jurisdiction. And jurisdiction was the Republican substitute for the word allegiance, which occurred in, in the common law. And uh, it was a rejection of uh, birthright subjectship, that feudal relic uh, that was rejected by the Declaration of Independence and the American framers. It should uh, be recognized that birthright citizenship or birthright subjectship, as it appears under the common law, uh, has to be uh, gotten rid of. Thank you so much for that. So just to review some of the terms, the important terms we we're talking about, uh, Professor Erler, you've just argued that jus solis, which is citizenship determined by place of birth, as opposed to jus sanguinis, which is citizenship determined by blood, was embraced by the English common law in the idea of birthright citizenship or subjectship, and you say that that notion was repudiated by the Declaration of Independence, which instead based citizenship on the consent of we the people. Professor Amar, your response to all of those arguments. Well, there's some similarities, some overlap uh, between us, but um, uh, and I'll go through what they are, but um, uh, none of that comes close to um, establishing this utterly outlandish proposition that people born in America of alien parents are somehow not citizens. Here's, here's some common ground. That 
the rules in England are a little different. In England, basically, they don't, um, at the time of the founding or even at the time of the Civil War, they have an idea of being subject to the king and not a, a, quite an American idea of citizenship. Uh, in England, they have an idea of perpetual allegiance. Um, uh, the way you're born, you can't change that. Just like you can't divorce your parents, you, you can't um, um, unilaterally dissolve the, 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 the tie to the, the king under uh, whose protection you're born. We Americans, I agree with the professor, don't believe that. We think that you actually can renounce um, your, um, uh, 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 your allegiance to the crown and, for example, become Americans. So that's different. Not, not a question, though, of whether there's birthright citizenship. It's whether you can renounce your birthright, um, and whether you're um, uh, uh, born in the United States of American parents or born in the United States of foreign parents or actually uh, naturalized and, and then later choose to, to, to go to some other country or go back to your original country. It's your right to be a citizen and you're allowed to repudiate that and the English don't let you do that. So that's a difference, but that doesn't answer the question whether it's your birthright to be um, a citizen on the day you're born. And um, so uh, as to consent of the governed, consent is given by the 14th Amendment itself, by the Civil Rights Act of 1866 itself, by repeated statutes thereafter, including one in 1952, saying it is the policy of the United States that people born here under our flag are citizens, whether their parents are aliens or not. Um, and in that way, it's a little bit like the English rules, although there are, uh, you can renounce it. Uh, and it's citizenship, not subjecthood. Um, but, but then the question is, under what conditions did we, the people, grant that consent? And the answer is, yes, we have to look at those words, subject to the jurisdiction. Now, I'll, I'll come back to that in just a second. Here's a second area of agreement. Dred Scott said some preposterous things, and it was wrong. We're in agreement about that. Now let's go through, actually, again, what Americans say on this. In 1844, this uh, landmark um, New York dis decision says the following, the policy of our nation, that's America, has been to bestow the right of citizenship freely and with a liberality unknown to the old world. We're gonna be different than the old world. We're gonna give citizenship more broadly. And just to repeat, um, um, no one, here's the sentence, I, I can entertain no doubt, says the judge in 1844, that by the law of the United States, every person born within the dominion and allegiance of the United States, whatever the situation of his parents, is a natural born citizen. No one inquires further. No one asks whether his parents were citizens or foreigners. It's enough that he was born here, whatever the status of his parents. And remember, he had earlier made an exception for children of ambassadors. Um, and in that, he's borrowing from English law, but he's saying it's different from English law because it's citizenship um, and, and it is renounceable if you want it to be. That's 1844. Then 1862, Bates says, it's clear. He says, I'm quite clear. I mean, it's hard for the language to be English language to be more clear that, the, that citizens born in the United States of alien parents um, who have never been naturalized are native born citizens of the United States. There is nothing in 1866 that has been quoted on the other side that, that repudiates any of that. In fact, 
the, the, um, the quotations that are used are taken out of context. They're actually misrendered. A word is, is stuck in a word or that even the National Review actually, um, um, which published some of this stuff, actually uh, backed away from and repudiated. Show me a clear statement saying all of that's wrong. Bates is wrong. Lincoln's attorney general was wrong. 1844 was wrong. You will not find it. And then the, there are later cases. There there. Um, landmark opinions by the Supreme Court, Wong Kim Ark, Plyler versus Doe, that reaffirm that subject to the jurisdiction basically means alien armies, um, uh, um, and, uh, children of ambassadors, and Native Americans living in tribes. Now, I want to say two other points because they actually are key about the, his the original intent in the 1860s. There are racists out there um, in the 1860s, and they say, now, wait a minute. This birthright citizenship, do you mean that a, ch a child of um, a Chinese person who's not able himself to be a citizen, but their kid, if born in the United States, is a citizen? And the framers of the 14th Amendment says, yes, that's exactly what we mean. The status of the parent isn't communicated to the child. So even though the parent is not and cannot be a U.S. citizen, the child born of that parent will be a U.S. citizen. Um, uh, under the, the rule that we're proposing. So they try to play the race card about gypsies, the Roma and Chinese, and explicitly the Republicans say, no, we're with Bates, we're with that 1844 um, uh, ruling. Second, there are people in the United States in the 1860s who actually are, in effect, illegal aliens. Dred Scott says, it talks about two things. One, whether free blacks can be citizens, and I agree with Professor Earler that they can and that the dissent is right in Dred Scott and, and blacks voted for the Constitution and fought it um, uh, and, uh, at places like Bunker Hill. Um, but now let's talk about slaves, not free blacks, but slaves. Um, um, slaves, um, uh, the entire pur purpose of the 14th Amendment is to ensure the core purpose that children of slaves are American citizens. Dred Scott says if you're descended from slaves, you can't be an American citizen. The 14th Amendment says, and the Civil Rights Act of 1866 says, on the contrary, whether you're born of slaves or not, if you're born in America, you're an American citizen. Now, some of the slaves that they're talking about were technically here illegally. They were smuggled into the United States in violation of a congressional statute passed in 1807. It's um, uh, um, the act of March 2nd, 1807, that prohibits slave importation from Africa. And yet people were imported from Africa in violation, slaves in violation of that. Um, conservative estimates um, uh, put the number in the tens of thousands. There are tens of thousands of, in effect, illegal aliens in America. There were slaves smuggled in, and it's utterly clear that the children of those illegal aliens were citizenized by the Civil Rights Act of 1866 and by the 14th Amendment. Um, and so now we have two different examples. And by the way, some of the people who are illegally here in the United States today were actually um, uh, the product of uh, sex uh, trafficking and, and in, in international slavery regimes and, and, and the like. So even today, there are unfortunately people in America who, who are here 
Um, they, they were brought here perhaps illegally, um, but their children are every bit as much, if they're born in the United States, citizens of the United States, as children of slaves in, in the 1860s. So two different examples where they clearly understood that the status of the parent would not be visited upon the child. And that's what Bates and, and the 1844 thing says. We don't ask about the parents. We may not even know who the parents are. A foundling born in Kansas with a, and you find the foundling and one day old and there's the uh, umbilical cord sticking out. You don't know who the person's parents are, are, but you know they were born in the United States. We don't ask about the status of the parents, whether they're gypsies and can't be U.S. citizens or Chinese people, um, a Ch a Ch a Chinese aliens who can't be United States citizens. Their children are citizens, whether or not, um, uh, whether unless they're the children of diplomats. Um, and um, uh, and uh, children of ill uh, of slaves, some of whom were here illegally, it doesn't matter if they're born in the United States, they are citizens of the United States. This is these are core meanings of the 14th Amendment and the Civil Rights of 1866. And I promise you that that's exactly what the court says in great detail, the United States Supreme Court in a case called Wong Kim Ark. It goes through, and, and, and maybe in, in the next go around, I'll you know I'll quote you, passage after passage after passage from Wong Kim Ark, basically saying subject to the jurisdiction just means basically alien armies, children of diplomats, um, and, and they appeal for all of that to English law. They say English law doesn't apply wholly, but uh, in these respects, actually, it's uh, we, we call them citizens, not subjects. You can renounce, not like Britain, but in other ways, actually, yes, we are borrowing the law of the soil. If you're born um, in America, you're a citizen, unless your parents were diplomats, you're born behind enemy lines in an occupying army, or you're a member of an, an Indian tribe that's like its own separate nation within the United States. And, and that's what subject to the jurisdiction means, says Wong Kim Ark. The more modern Supreme Court has um, endorsed this in a case called Plyler versus Doe. So the text of the Constitution is clear. The history of the Constitution is clear. The precedents are clear. They all point in the same direction. Oh, and by the way, even if all of that were wrong, there are statutes more recently than 1866 that say the same thing. Statutes passed, for example, in 1952, after Wong Kim Ark is on the books saying, here's what subject to the jurisdiction means, saying that. Um, so, and the idea that a president unilaterally could disregard these statutes and the Constitution, um, this is an extremely eccentric position bordering on the crackpot. Thank you very much for that, Professor Erler. Of course, your response to a number of points Akil made, including first he said that the uh, quotation from Senator Howard that you've uh, relied on uh, was also relied on by Michael Anton in the National Review. He's the spokesperson for the National Security Council on whom President Trump relied. And Akil is suggesting that there was a or inserted into the quote that changed its meaning. The quote is, this will not, of course, include persons born in the United States who are foreigners, aliens. And then uh, I, I suppose uh, Mr. Anton inserted an or who belong to the families of ambassadors. And then, then Professor Amar also introduced the Wong King Art case. So your thoughts about why that case, which applied to the children of legal aliens, does not apply to the children of illegal aliens would be great. Actually, I'm the one who uh, originally uh, inserted the or in that quote because I thought it clarified it, and uh, I still think it's uh, the or, bracketed or, is justified. I, I wrote a response uh, to the editors of National Review, which they posted, 
justifying uh, the use of the ore uh, using uh, Jacob Howard's uh, own uh, words, uh, uh, because uh, after all, he said uh, that the reason that he didn't uh, repeat the language of the Civil Rights Act saying Indians not taxed are excluded uh, was that he regarded Indians as foreigners. Uh, so in that statement that he made, he uh, resisted uh, including uh, Indians uh, uh, in the, the 14th Amendment language because he regarded them as uh, foreigners uh, inhabiting a foreign nation. He said, we've always uh, 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 thought of Indians uh, as being members of foreign nations. And so he, uh, they were part of the, the foreigners that, uh, that um, he included there. And I gave uh, plenty of other evidence, including the Civil Rights Act of uh, 1866, in which he said uh, uh, those who are subject to a foreign power were, are, are not uh, eligible for birthright citizenship. I don't see how you can get any uh, clearer than that. But I think that uh, Professor Amar uh, would uh, uh, reads the 14th Amendment as uh, somehow uh, repealing the Civil Rights Act of 1866, because the Civil Rights Act of 1866 it does, in fact, exclude those who are subject to a foreign power uh, from birthright citizenship so that people who come here illegally are obviously subject to a foreign power. Uh, and uh, the Civil Rights Act excluded them uh, from uh, birthright citizenship. And now he would say that the 14th Amendment uh, uh, includes them in birthright citizenship. So uh, you have an incompatibility there between uh, the 14th Amendment and the Civil Rights Act of 1866. And I don't know of anyone uh, who makes uh, 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 that argument. Now, I don't know what uh, uh, statutes that uh, the professor is uh, referring to, but I don't believe that there is uh, any case on point uh, that says, except in dicta, that says that children of illegal aliens are uh, uh, considered to be uh, citizens of the, the United States. I don't think there is a case, and I don't think that Plyler uh, versus Doe uh, does uh, say that. After all, the children that were involved in that case were, in fact, illegal aliens, uh, and so I don't think that case is, is on point. Let me just say something about uh, Wong Kim Ark. Uh, the argument in Wong Kim Ark, we have to remember that uh, his parents were legal aliens, they were uh, in the country legally, uh, but they were not eligible. Uh, they could never become citizens of the United States. Uh, they were barred from uh, citizenship by treaty and by statute. And they professed allegiance uh, to the emperor of uh, China. Uh, so uh, Wang Kim Ark was born in the United States, and the question was whether or not uh, he was a citizen of the United States. Now, Justice Gray, who wrote the majority decision there, said that the 14th Amendment was premised on uh, the English common law. But his, his argument there was the perfect non sequitur. He said this, that the framers of the Constitution were perfectly aware and had studied uh, the English common law. Uh, and of course, everyone concedes uh, that uh, uh, the uh, legal education at the time uh, largely consisted of uh, studying uh, uh, the English common law. Uh, so that's no surprise. 
But because they had studied the English common law, we must read the Constitution in the light of the English common law. And, and of course, that makes uh, no sense. Madison himself had said that whatever uh, in the Declaration of Independence, uh, whatever in the common law that uh, uh, contradicts the principles of the Declaration of Independence was repealed by the principles of the revolution. Avari uh, argued that birthright subjectship is utterly incompatible with the principles of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, so uh, there is no notion that uh, birthright subjectship uh, re uh, survived the, uh, the principles of the Declaration of Independence. As a matter of fact, uh, Chief Justice Fuller's dissent in Wong Kim Ark made precisely that argument. And in fact, it used to be a principle of constitutional construction uh, prior to Wong Kim Ark uh, that uh, the principles of the revolution repealed anything in the, co uh, the English common law that was inconsistent with, uh, uh, with those uh, principles. And I think uh, uh, that principle of constitutional construction should have prevailed in the Wong Kim Ark case. Uh, the idea, uh, for example, uh, Justice Gray noted that there was in the uh, English common law only talk about subjectship. But he said something utterly fantastic that for our purposes, subject and citizen were convertible terms. Subject and citizen were convertible terms so that wherever we see subject in the common law, we can read citizen. Now I submit that this, this kind of language that citizen and subject are convertible terms in previous years, in centuries long ago, might have been language that would have flattered kings, but in a Republican form of government, this is simply outrageous to speak in those terms. Madison uh, would never have uh, 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 said, for example, that there's no difference between a monarchy and a republic. Thomas Hobbes, for example, might have agreed that since a monarchy is sovereign and a republic is sovereign. There's no essential difference between the two forms of government. But the framers of our constitution knew well the difference between monarchies and republics. So the idea that uh, citizens and subjects were convertible terms is an absolute outrage. And that alone uh, should uh, give us pause and perhaps uh, uh, lead us to rethink whether a Wong Kim Ark uh, should be repealed, as I think it should be repealed, that Chief Justice Fuller in that case had by far the the superior uh, uh, superior argument. It was a six to two uh, opinion, uh, but uh, the majority opinion was so fraught with difficulties that I think that it needs to be revisited. And the idea that uh, the, the 14th Amendment rests upon uh, the English common law uh, is an outrageous misreading, not only of the debates, uh, the Reconstruction debates, uh, but uh, the Constitution itself. Uh, and I think uh, 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 this ought not to stand. Professor Marr, if you could tell us more about the Wan Kim Ark case, why you think that it covers the children of uh, illegal aliens, and also tell us about the Supreme Court's other relevant case law, including the Rios Pineda case from 1985, which assumed in dicta that the parents of two U.S.-born children uh, were U.S. citizens, Plyler and Doe, where all nine justices agreed that no plausible distinction with respect to the 14th Amendment jurisdiction 
can be drawn between resident aliens whose entry into the United States was lawful and resident aliens whose entry was unlawful. And finally, on the case law, tell us why you began by saying that you think that all nine justices of the current court would hold that birthright citizenship extends to the children of illegal aliens. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so um, let me just, uh, I think Professor Erler uh, realizes that he has to basically say that the Supreme Court didn't know um, what it was talking about in Wong Kim Ark. Um, and he's right. Sometimes the Supreme Court gets it wrong, um, uh, but not here, I think. Let me just read you one payoff passage. And the reason it didn't get it wrong, Jeff, is because Wong Kim Ark is saying the exact same thing that the New York Chancery Court said in 1844, that Lincoln's Attorney General said in 1862, and that the Republican Party, it's the same Lincoln's Republican Party, are saying in Congress in 1866, unless you misread their quotes, okay? Um, abates and the, Repu the Republican Party basically is a pretty cohesive party back then, um, and, uh, and, and they, they have a certain view. They understand that England is different from America in a couple of respects. But when they say citizens are the same as subjects, they mean for the purpose of birthright citizenship, not for everything else. Yes, citizens vote in a republic and subjects, you know, inherit a crown. Yes, um, in, in Britain, you can't basically divorce the king. You can't divorce a Britain even if you want. In America, you can leave. Those are key differences between the American Republic and the Brits. Irrelevant to the question at hand, which is, are we gonna have, in effect, law of the soil, like Britain, or law of blood, like a lot of European countries? And what the judge in 1844 says is, we're gonna have citizenship, not subjecthood, but citizenship, and it's renounceable by soil. And that's what Bates says in 1862, and that's what the Republicans say in their statute in 1866, and in the Constitution, they're saying the same thing, not different things, um, Professor Erler, I don't think they're saying different things. They're saying the same thing. And that's what Wong Kim Ark says as well. They're all of a piece. Um, and, and, they're, and, 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 and to repeat, the two differences, you can renounce your citizenship. That's what makes America great. Um, and um, uh, um, uh, you're a citizen and not a subject. But it's a birthright idea with the same exceptions as the English have for ambassadors and conquering armors, uh, armies, and America adds one more. We've got tribes um, within um, our, our country um, or quasi-sovereign nations in a way that Britain doesn't. Here's what Wong Kim Ark says. Um, after, um, um, I could quote a, 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 a lot, the, um, the 14th Amendment affirms the ancient and fundamental rule by, um, of citizenship by birth within the territory. So you see, yes, they're saying we're applying the English rules to the American context. Um, and so just as we're going to have a new exception for Indians, we're going to call it citizenship and not subjecthood. We're going to make it renounceable. But in this deep point about law of the soil rather than law of the blood, we're affirming the, the 14th Amendment affirms the ancient and fundamental rule of citizenship by birth within the territory. Um, including all children here born of resident aliens with the exceptions uh, um, um, uh, or qualifications, as of the old rule itself, of citizens of foreign sovereigns or their ministers, uh, children of foreign sovereigns, that would be kings or their ministers, or born on foreign public ships, or of enemies within and during a hostile occupation as a part of our territory. So that's what all the Blackstone references and all the rest. 
And with the additional, with a single additional exception, so just like the Brits, you know, there it's subject, here it's citizen, there it's not renounceable, here it is, just like the Brits with the same exceptions for foreign diplomats and conquering armies, with the single additional exception of children of members of Indian tribes owing direct allegiance to their several tribes. The amendment in clear words and in manifest intent includes the children born within the territory of the United States of all other persons of whatever race or color, um, every, um, um, every citizen um, or subject of another country while domiciled here is within the allegiance, blah, blah, blah. So it's, we don't distinguish between children of aliens and children of um, citizens. And that was asked in the 14th Amendment debates about the Chinese, you see. So, so Wong Kim Ark is saying the same thing as the Republicans were saying in 1866, unless you misinterpret you what they're saying, which is the same thing that Bates said, which was the same thing that this 1844 um, case said, building on um, English authorities. So, um, and then the Supreme Court of the United States has repeatedly reaffirmed this later on in cases like Plyler versus Doe, as you mentioned in in the, the modern era. Um, so, um, and and um, the uh, uh, the reason I feel so, you Jeff, you asked me why I feel so confident about the justices is because I, I did go to law school. Um, I'm law trained. Um, uh, and I mean, regular conversations with the justices. I'm actually having a conversation tomorrow with one of them about something. I did testify for Brett Kavanaugh. I'm a Democrat. He's a Republican. Constitutional law is not partisan. Um, I've co-authored with, um, uh, I, I clerked for one person who's on the Supreme Court now, Steve Breyer, my co-author in a recent piece in timemagazine.com. Steve Calabresi, who clerked for another um, uh, Supreme Court justice, um, uh, Antonin Scalia, he's a Republican. I'm a Democrat, but but um, I'm happy to give anyone, you know, um, uh, um, I'm happy to take any action you've got for me. We we can we can place a nice big bet on this because the precedents are clear, the text is clear, the original intent is clear. The New York Times had an op-ed by the preeminent scholar of Reconstruction two days ago on this topic. His name is Eric Foner. He wrote, he's a Columbia uh, pr professor, former president of the Organization of American Historians. He's by acclamation the preeminent scholar of Reconstruction, and he says, this is clear. It's, it's not ambiguous, it's clear. That's what Eric Foner says. That's what constitutional scholars who teach in law schools and are quoted by the Supreme Court, um, cited by the Supreme Court, followed by the justices from Michael McConnell and um, um, uh, uh, um, and, and Stephen Calabresi uh, uh, um, uh, on the right to um, Larry Tribe and Walter Dellinger, a former Solicitor General of the United States, um, on the left. Um, I know of no a uh, constitutional law trained person um, uh, regularly cited um, uh, in a law school, in a law school, um, because, you know, we actually, we, we do this thing called law day in and day out. And we know we how to read cases. And, and, and it's not a fair reading of the case to say, because they say, you know, subject and citizen are the same thing, that they mean it for all purposes. They mean for the purpose at hand, which is birthright um, 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 uh, uh, um, entitlements. They don't mean it for republicanism or for renounce, renounceability um, when a judge. Um, so that's what we do. And, and all I'm saying is 
I'm, you know, about as confident about this as I've been about anything else. I have been cited 37 times by the United States Supreme Court by justices across the spectrum, probably more by the conservatives than by the liberals. I, I clerked for a liberal, um, a, a Steve Breyer. So, so the precedents are clear. They're, they're not in doubt. They're dissents, but those are dissents. Um, the text is clear. What, what does it mean to be subject to the jurisdiction? It means, actually, you're born um, in the United States, and if you misbehave, oh, we're going to apply our laws against you. <laughs> you're subject. We, you, we may not even know what foreign country your parents came from. We may not even know who your parents are. You might be a foundling. We are not going to have DNA tests about who your real father is biologically or not. Oh, and by, if, by the way, if we did, that would be a can of worms because all sorts of people aren't necessarily the biological children of the person that they think they are, the, uh, the, the father that they think they have. So um, it's a nice, clean, clear rule. If you're born in the United States under the flag, you're a citizen with these two exceptions from England conquering armies and foreign diplomats, and one-third to deal with a unique American situation, which we don't have anymore, which is tribal Indians. The text is clear. The original intent is clear. The history from 1844 on is clear, and the precedents are clear. Well, in light of the new Supreme Court decision that could lead states to legalize sports gambling, I don't know whether we the people can facilitate bets, so I'm not going to uh, take that risk. But I will say that at the end of this Fascinating debate. It is time for closing arguments. And Professor Erler, the first one is to you in just a few uh, sentences. Can you sum up for our audience why you believe that the president does have the authority by executive order to end birthright citizenship? Well, I happen to be one who does not think that the president has uh, authority uh, to issue an executive order to end birthright citizenship, but I think he's imitating uh, we're trying to imitate President Obama, who said, when Congress won't act, I'll, I have a pen and a phone uh, to act in their stead. But I don't think that President Obama ever acted constitutionally uh, with his executive orders. And I don't think the president can act constitutionally uh, here uh, either. But I think uh, Congress uh, can act by statute uh, to end birthright citizenship. And I think that they should. But I must say that uh, Professor Amar's last uh, argument was uh, what Madison might call an ingenious sophism. Uh, plenty of uh, uh, members of the uh, Reconstruction Congress wasted a lot of breath talking about allegiance uh, when they talked in terms of jurisdiction. It's not enough to take up uh, the latest edition of Black's Law Dictionary uh, and look under the entry uh, of jurisdiction to figure out what uh, the framers of the 14th Amendment meant by jurisdiction. They said plainly what they meant by jurisdiction, and it is not what Professor Amar says uh, uh, they meant by jurisdiction. Uh, they meant something specific, not owing allegiance to any other country, being under the complete jurisdiction of the United States. Uh, and when uh, uh, Justice Gray uh, said that the 14th Amendment uh, adopted the, the English common law of citizenship uh, or subjectship, uh, uh, he said what no member of the Reconstruction Congress ever said. Uh, I have read the debates more than once, and there is not a single member of the Congress who ever said that we are simply adopting the English common law uh, of, uh, of subjectship 
uh, or we're drawing upon the, uh, or we're converting the English law of subjectship into the American law of citizenship. That was never the case. And uh, I don't think you could ever make the argument that that was the case. Uh, and, and when uh, Justice uh, Gray said, look, uh, uh, Wong Kim Ark, uh, when he uh, comes of age, if he wants to expatriate himself back to China, he is free to do so. Did he not understand that expatriation was against uh, the English common law uh, and that he was contradicting himself? And he contradicted himself uh, many, many times in his opinion uh, uh, when he said that uh, the 14th Amendment uh, adopted the English common law. Uh, uh, all we have to do is to substitute uh, uh, citizen for subject and, he, uh, uh, and everything is going well. Uh, the opinion is, uh, is simply absurd. It's as absurd as any opinion ever was, uh, almost as absurd as Dred Scott, uh, although Dred Scott uh, opinion, of course, is, is too vicious to, um, to be merely described as absurd. Uh, but uh, uh, Wang Kim Arp is just as contradictory, I must say. And, and you can't simply uh, rely on that opinion uh, for any, uh, anything good. And I disagree. Uh, uh, the Wong Kim Ark opinion is expansive, uh, but it's not expansive enough to say uh, that it uh, is authoritative enough to include uh, the children of illegal immigrants uh, uh, in, uh, 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 to be included as American citizens. I just do not believe that. There has been dicta, yes, but no case on point. Thank you so much for that. Professor Amar, last word to you. Professor Erler helpfully made clear that he thinks that Congress could end birthright citizenship by statute, but the president could not do so by executive order. Tell us why you believe that, in fact, the Constitution compels recognition of birthright citizenship. Great. So let's not lose track of that very important and helpful um, uh, point that he did make that uh, what President Trump is proposing is flatly unconstitutional. That's actually the bottom line, even though he and I disagree on other things. And I actually think that some of this stuff is actually very, very well settled. And, and you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, round earthers versus flat earthers on some of this stuff. That's actually my view. And, and there are lots of things that are fairly debatable among uh, constitutional scholars and, and judges. But this actually in general isn't that close but even for that okay even we're agreed that what president trump is proposing professor earl and i are in agreement that that's flatly unconstitutional a president can't do this unilaterally good thank you for that very important a note of of of, of agreement um two final points just if you say subject to the jurisdiction a kid of an illegal alien you know is possibly subject to the jurisdiction of some other country that he's never been to, he never will be to, um, 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 maybe, okay. Um, but then that would be true of a uh, kid of a legal alien too, uh, not just an illegal alien. So uh, um, if, if the test is somehow, is there any other country that, that could possibly um, uh, regulate, are you born a dual citizen or something? And that makes you now not an American citizen because let's imagine your parents are legal aliens. Let's imagine actually that they're permanent green, they're residents, they're green card holders, um, but um, 
you are, on the day you're born, not just born an American under the 14th Amendment, but um, you also might inherit um, a, a dual citizenship from Canada or um, England or some other jurisdiction. So, so if he says, ah, subject to jurisdiction means you can't, there has to be no other foreign government possibly in the picture. Wow. That's a radical proposition that's true, not just of children of illegal aliens, the children of legal aliens, not just um, stu people on student visas, not just people who are tourists, um, but actually permanent green card holders even. Wow, wow, wow. Um, and, and now you see the, the clear contradiction between th that and Wong Kim Ong uh, arc on his facts. And he says, oh, the, you know, the Supreme Court, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and he's right. Sometimes they don't. Um, but um, uh, 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 I'm not sure that it's, it, it, that his um, uh, the, the Pandora's box, um, once you open it, can be limited just to children of illegal um, aliens. And it's a thin edge of a very big and dangerous wedge that I think runs squarely into Wong Kim Ark. And the third point, my final point, is there is no, I've read the debates about the 14th Amendment too. I've written a bunch of books actually on the 14th Amendment and not just this one sentence. And I emphatically disagree with his account of actually what they say and don't say. And oh, by the way, Eric Foner's on my side. Um, and I'd rather have him than any other single person. And I actually think virtually all the Reconstruction historians whom I know, and I know a lot of them, you know, would be on my side. Here's the point. Their conversation doesn't begin in 1866. They are building on what Bates has done in 1862 in their statutes in 1866 and their amendment. And Bates is building on an 1844 case that he explicitly references that is based on English rules of soil. So all this stuff about English rule of social, you might not like it, Professor Early. You might think it collapses, you know, um, subjecthood and citizenship. But on the relevant question, actually, which is not subjecthood versus citizenship, and it's not whether you can renounce your birthrights or not, but on the question, basically, are we in America going to be a law of the soil place or law of the blood place? 1844 says we're a law of the soil place. 1862, Bates says we're a law of the soil place. That place. That's what the framers of the 14th Amendment actually say again and again and again, even for children of Chinese people who themselves can't be citizens, but the children of born in America can. And there are only three exceptions, and two of them come from English law all the way back in Blackstone, conquering armies and foreign diplomats. And we add a third for American Indians because it's uh, in tribes because this is a different regime. Thank you so much. Akhil Amar and Edward Erler for a extremely vigorous, but also extremely deep, specific, and illuminating debate about this hotly contested constitutional topic. Dear We the People listeners, you have been treated to what is indeed a deep dive into this important case, and your homework is to take one of the statutes or cases that was discussed, uh, read it, and see if you agree with Professor Amar or Professor Erler, and write to me to tell me what you think. Akil Amar, Edward Erler, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. My pleasure. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Kilburn and produced by Jackie McDermott. Research was provided by Lana Ulrich and Jackie McDermott. Please listen and subscribe to our companion podcast, Live at America's Town Hall. This is the audio feed of all of our phenomenal uh, shows and public programs, both in Philadelphia and around the country. They include 
scholars and thought leaders from Michael Beschloss and Doris Kearns Goodwin to Kenneth Starr, whom I'm interviewing tonight. And they're just a wonderful companion to We the People for those of you who are hungry for constitutional education and debate. And of course, if you like our podcast, tell your friends and colleagues and leave us a rating on Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. And always, dear the We the People listeners, please remember the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. We can't put on these podcasts or do any of the really important educational work we do unless you, the people, that is, the people who love our podcasts, become members and support us and sign up and tell your friends and tell their friends and continue to write to me to tell you what you think of the podcast. Your engagement is so meaningful, and I'm so honored that you are learning with me about the Constitution every week, and I want you to show that passion and commitment by joining the National Constitution Center at our website. Please go to constitutioncenter.org to learn more. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.